Welcome to the Mwango Capital Podcast. At Mwango Capital, we aggregate uh, key information on African capital markets through Twitter, Telegram, and our weekly newsletter called The Baobab. We also hold weekly discussions every Friday on topical issues on African capital markets, and we also engage in analysis and research and training. We look forward to another engaging conversation on our Twitter spaces. Uh, So join us there every Friday so that we can keep having quality conversations on African capital markets. Without further ado, welcome to today's conversation. for accepting to be here with us today. Just want to deep dive a little bit on Jubilee, your journey so far, and just get a little bit of an overview of the insurance industry in Kenya. And so it's such a pleasure also to have you. So maybe you can start by telling us, for those who don't know you, who you are and what you do day to day, Jubilee. Julius Kipnetich, the group CEO for Jubilee Holdings. Jubilee Holdings is the owner of several companies, actually 14 in total, but majority of them are insurance companies. We are in five countries. Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and then Burundi and Mauritius. We are the largest insurer in East and Central Africa. We are also the most profitable. And this company was started in 1937. So we have just passed our 84th anniversary. We are going into 85 years and we are making some important moves to be around for another 85 years. And we'll be discussing what what are some of these moves to make us live for another 85 years. We have laid the foundation for most of it. Some of it you, you probably have heard about uh, our, our journey with Allianz. I know that will be a question. It is all building the foundation for the next 85 years. I'm glad I'm here in Jubilee and uh, we have 1,200 employees in all the five countries and it's an exciting time to join the insurance industry. I know many people are asking what is the future of insurance. We probably look at, as a profession, insurance is 200 years old. So it's not too old. And it's about pooling risk. And the Commission of Insurance was saying in the last five years, generally, insurance as a percentage of GDP has fallen. Five years ago, we were at 2.7. Today, we are at 2.3. So we are dropping. It is not that Kenyans are not managing risk because that's what the essence of insurance. Kenyans are still managing risk, but in a different way. And probably that is what will trigger the change and the disruption we are talking about for the future. We are thinking of how can we disrupt the insurance industry so that then we can be in tandem with Kenyans where they are going in their concept of managing risk. So probably we, are, uh, we have a case of round holes and square pegs it is a discussion for us today. We are also discussing that internally and saying, how do, why are Kenyans, for example, not saving? That's the life policies. Why are they not saving? There was an article last week which said Kenyans save 12% of GDP. The highest savers in the world are Chinese. They are at 55. Why would a Chinese person save 55 and a Kenyan is saving 12% of their income on average? There's something wrong somewhere. And we need then to discuss with various actors, including government, how can you increase the savings rate? Then you'll you'll see the uptake of life insurance going up. Or, for example, people insuring cars third party. Why are they going third party and not comprehensive? There's probably something wrong somewhere. So we have identified all the issues that are making insurance drop. 
and how we can encourage. Because if people save that money and buy insurance policies, it becomes a catalyst for national development. So we can expand significantly in the economy because we have mobilized the savings. Ugandans are saving higher than us. Tanzanians are saving higher than us. But the insurance penetration is low. So the potential for growing insurance in Uganda and Tanzania is definitely higher than Kenya because they are saving much more. And so those are things now we are looking at, and that is why we have invited the big boys, and I'll be talking about our strategy with the big boys of the world, why a large insurance company in Eastern Central Africa is partnering with another large global insurer. What are we up to? And those are some of the things we'll be looking at. Back to you. Yes, so maybe we can get started with your journey to Jubilee yourself. And I'm betting you didn't start at Jubilee. So what has been your journey so far from high school, let's say, taking you all the way to Jubilee? Maybe you can give us a thumbnail sketch of your career so far. Okay, probably just the earlier life is I was in Stare, just here in Nairobi, went to University of Nairobi and uh, came to the workplace 30 years ago. I've, I've run several institutions. The one that was very intriguing for me was being told to be in charge of student welfare at the University of Nairobi as a lecturer. And that was 97 to the year 2000. I was in charge of the entire boarding students, the 10,000 of them. And I decentralized the system and reorganized it. And it was a very interesting management experiment. I think it still works up to today. That is now more than 25 years ago. And later on, I was in charge of investment promotion with what is now called Ken Invest. I was there for three years. Then went to KWS for eight years. Initially, I thought it would be two years, but I stayed there for eight years, and we did a lot of reform. And I guess because I was in uniform, made me very famous. Then I retired from KWS 10 years ago. Then I went to Equity. What many people don't know is that I was actually on the board of Equity for the entire period I was in KWS. And we transitioned Equity from a building society to a bank, we build the foundation for that mass market model, and then the rest is history. It is what it is today. And so I was in the management for three years. Then I was called to see whether we could river with for markets. And by the time I reached there, it was severely undercapitalized. They had a, a whole of five billion. The shareholders could not raise it. And I told them, there's nothing much you can do if you don't raise the five billion required. You are just killing the institution. Why? How did that whole arise? It was based on false accounting. And there's a report to that effect, forensic report, that then we were able to unearth various actors, including the auditors, who are not providing the shareholders the truth. And, and then four years ago, I came to Jubilee. I had joined Jubilee earlier on in 2016 as a board member. And then in 2018, January, I came in as the group CEO. And I'm still there. And so that is really my journey. So the question I would ask is, since you've been in several kind of sectors, so you've been in banking, you've been in KWS, and now you're also in insurance, like any reflections and lessons in terms of leadership that you've come across uh, in this time period that you've been, and that which you've taken maybe to Jubilee with you? I know you share a lot on your, on your Twitter also about reflections and lessons, but maybe you can consolidate a few lessons that you've picked up, uh, maybe especially with Uchumi, also, uh, in terms of maybe a leadership and just being honest in terms of accounting and all? I think the key thing, uh, the lessons I've learned is, one, leadership is everything, even for the country or even the world. Leadership is everything. And the character of the leader, 
and the values of the leader are very important. So even as Kenya goes through an election next year, we need to be very clear. What kind of leaders are we bringing on board? Are there people who have integrity? Are there people who are incorruptible? Are there people who have a clear vision? Are there people with good character? Employees is everything. People, people, people. And what are you aiming at is how do you motivate people to produce at their best? That is the aim of every leader. The employees must be sufficiently motivated to produce at their best. The third one, the third lesson I've learned over the years is organizations are driven by systems. Don't let an organization be dependent on individual. That leader we are talking about must then establish very strong systems that can outlast them. I talked to you about student welfare the environment. The system I created is still the same one, you know, exactly the way it is 25 years later. Even in KWS, I created a system. I was looking at their current strategic plan, which they launched last week, and they have hardly changed anything about what we thought of uh, in 2005. So this, this is almost 16 years since we put the framework, and that framework still carries them to that today. So systems and you know the frameworks and the procedures are what keeps an organization in a country those systems are exactly the constitution and the laws so a leader must put systems in organization that lasts for generations so that then it is what so if you have a good leader with good systems you have a very high chance of success very 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 high chance of success and probably the fourth lesson is about uh, building an organization's brand. A leader's brand and an organization are intertwined. They are together. So if you are a, a good leader, and that good leader comes and drives the brand of the organization, then it, you have a very good image. It is important that you leverage your own goodwill as a leader to also leverage the company. It's not that it's artificial. It's just a reflection. Your deeper thought as a leader is reflected in the company's engagement with the customers, in the company's posture to the market, and so therefore you leverage that. So those are the, to me, are the four key lessons I've learned over the years. Very strong reflections. I think one of the things I've learned also by listening to a lot of uh, very good leaders and global leaders and investors, especially they keep insisting the issue of creating strong systems and processes so that they're not people dependent, they're more uh, system dependent in such a way that if you can replace one person with someone else, the system will still keep uh, going. So I think in that regard now, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about the business itself of Jubilee Insurance. Uh, maybe you can explain to us what Jubilee does. And I mean, you've talked about the segments and the holdings and the kind of what's the business model of Jubilee insurance itself. Uh, there are four parts to the way we, we do our business. So first of all, I mean, the insurance companies, the insurance companies, we have split them into three, the insurance businesses. We have, of course, the life business, which is the biggest. And within the life business, of course, we have corporate pensions. We have group life. We have individual life. So very clear segment, segments in the life products. And then, so all those lead, deal with long term, except group life, which is one year. And then we have the health business, the medical business. We are actually the largest medical insurer in, in the region by far. And because we have understood its business and how it works. And there are, of course, challenges, but we are the biggest medical insurer. So all of you understand medical insurance. And then... The other one is the general business, 
the general business was actually part of, I mean, the medical was part of the general business, but as in Jubilee, we have split the two so that then we can concentrate more clearly on developing a health insurance business that's very successful and understands the needs of the market. And then for the general, which insurers call property and casualty, we now, that is the rest non-medical, which is largely motor, fire, you know, and similar policies. So generally parts of the insurance business. We have also added so that you can bring your assets by, by your financial assets be managed by Jubilee. So we created the Jubilee Financial Services Limited and it is already currently managing our investments internally. All our investments are through our asset management company and we now want to expand it to include other clients. So those are the components of our insurance and investment business. Of course, we have other investments out there uh, that, but the primary drivers are the pension funds, the life company generating a lot of that. And then, of course, the short-term funds by the health business and the general business. So we have decisionalized our thinking and say we are not just here for a political season. We are here for the customer for the long term. So we guarantee long-term value rather than, you know, we have, there's enough stock markets, we rush to it. Jubilee is not like that. As we are very prudent and we look at if a company is likely to sustain their business for the next 10 to 15 years, we go for it. But if it is something which is transient of a few months up and then down again, that's not Jubilee appetite. We are very consistent in the way we look at the long-term view of investments from whatever we receive from our customers. So if you look at even, even for example, look at the life policy guaranteed funds. We are very consistent in what we promise our customers, very consistent. And uh, you'll find that some companies quote, uh, say, 11% today, three, two, three years down the road, they are at 4%. As we, it is very consistent. And it's a reflection of the kind of policies we have put in place that guarantees the pensioner good value for the long haul. A quick question. What informs your conservative approach to business? And also expound a little bit more on how Jubilee makes money as a company. So you said what informs uh, our, our investment policies? Our investment policies largely is informed by the way we look at insurance as a business. Insurance, you see, just let's let's put an example. Somebody gives you their savings today at the age of 24. He's probably going to retire at the age of 60. The people who underwrote that policy, by the time that person retires, definitely will not be there. But that person, when they come at the, at the retirement age, should be received in the same way that person was underwriting the policy in the first place. So why conservative is because we don't want to, to put too much risk in our investments. And then the person, because I will not be there myself in the next 20 years when your policy matures or 15 years or even five years, I don't want to put your money at risk. So the first thing we always say is, your investment income, your your pension must, first of all, get a good, consistent return. So we decisionalize it. Decisionalizing means we try to eliminate the swings. So that is the core. That's why you have to be a bit conservative, because to eliminate those swings, you must then take a conservative approach and say, 
we are going to put in instruments which gives you consistent return. If you look at our investment portfolio, and it's there in our annual report, we are a public listed company. 85% of our pension money is in treasury instruments, largely bonds. Why? Because the returns, if you look at the returns of bonds consistently, they give you around 12%. Property gives you around uh, 5 to probably 7%. Equities keep going up and down, like the, the, our equity markets have been bearish in the last three years. So when you sit down with the, our experts internally and they give you the various models they have developed, then you see for us in the long term, our investments will largely then be around those treasury instruments because one, they are risk-free, they are constitutionally guaranteed. So why would we go for an instrument like a building that gives us a return of, say, 7% at best. Yet we have a risk-free investment in an infrastructure bond that gives 125 So that, that explains now that, that consistency. The second part of the question was about the business model. Like, how do you make money as an insurance? How do insurance oh, companies oh, okay, okay, make money? Okay. Yeah. So if you look at our books of accounts, we make money to, there are two parts of our money. is the insurance result. If you look at the books of an insurance company, one part is insurance result, the second part is investments. Let me just say something about insurance results. An insurance company makes money by underwriting, which is taking a policy, so somebody pays a premium, and then we pull that premium, and then the claimants come for the money, those, those who have an unfortunate incident. That's how insurance works. So now, how do you price it? Pricing is done by actuaries using probability and they have so we have so many probability models first of all we have very good accuracy and underwriters the team that then designs the policy and writes it for the client we are very good at it I, I, in my view we are the best in the market in underwriting and we are very good accuracy that make sure that as much as possible the business is profitable if a business unfortunately and we have a few which then unfortunately become unprofitable we discuss with the client we revise the price. If they are not agreeable, we just say, we are sorry, as Jubilee, we can't then transfer a loss. So we are, we are very prudent in the way we negotiate with our clients so that then we price. If, for example, our actuaries in Jubilee say that a certain price for a policy is below break-even, we don't take it as a rule. We don't. So we are very prudent on the underwriting side. Then on the claim side, that is the bane of insurance companies. That's where the fraud is. So we have also very strong teams that vet claims. And occasionally, of course, they flare up. Uh, the insurance uh, frauds flare up. But we are able to quickly respond and clamp down. Some, some frauds pass through the cracks because people have learned to be very smart. And I'll probably discuss about some of the industry things that we need to do collectively as an insurance industry. But the key thing is... When the claims come, you see, when the actuaries do the probabilities, it's on probability of occurrence. So we say we pull the funds. When the claims come, it's expected a certain you know, percentage come for, for, for the claim. You see, insurance relies on utmost good faith, that everybody is truthful. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the case. And even some part of the premium is to take care of fraudulent claims. So we are, we are very, very, very prudent. For example, in our medical, we have now automated largely small claims. So we have built in artificial intelligence systems, which then vets small claims. The larger claims are, are done by our medical auditors, 
and they are very thorough. Occasionally, some, some of them pass through the cracks, but they have largely clumped on that. The same thing for the general insurance business and the same thing for the life. So if you look at our insurance results for the half year 2021, half year ended June 30th, of all the listed companies, Jubilee is the only one that made money from insurance business. It's the only one. You look at all the listed companies. I don't know about, we have not seen the industry data from the regulator, but we are the only ones among the listed insurers that made money from underwriting results. So that is, so if you look at half of our income, it comes from underwriting. The other half is when this money comes to us as premium, where do we place it? So we place it because it can't sit in our bank account until you come for the claim. We now put it in largely those treasury instruments that I was talking about, which are giving, for now, very good results. Also, we diversified our portfolio into other, other investments, like, for example, in Uganda, we are a major stakeholder in Bujagali energy. 40% of Uganda's energy is Bujagali alone, and we have a significant stake as Jubilee together with other partners in that uh, dam. So we are very prudent in the way we also invest outside treasury instruments. And we have a team of experts internally that vet all our investments. And they must go through the board investment committee. So we have the management investment committee and we have the board investment committee. And all of them must concur that whatever investment that we put our money to must be prudent and for the interest of the policyholder. It is not our interest, it is the interest of the policyholder. So unfortunately, guys, you will not see a jubilee tower because buildings don't give that kind of return Bujagali would give or Seacom or Farmer's Choice. Remember, all those are our investments, Farmer's Choice, Bujagali. We have a little investment in Serena. Tourism industry has been doing well in some years. COVID has, has caused a problem, but in the long term, we believe that uh, tourism will recover. So we, we, are not, we don't do what you would see a typical insurance company doing in investments. We are very, very prudent. And we also follow the guideline from the regulator significantly. For example, the regulator gives a limit of 90% in treasury instruments. We are at 85. So we are close. So we follow those rules uh, and guidelines of the regulator. So we are very, very prudent. And as I said earlier on, Mokaya, we are also very conservative. What we choose to invest in, we have the policy holder in mind. Two follow-up questions. At 85% treasuries, isn't that like you're more exposed than very highly exposed to the Kenyan government and how it's doing? And then secondly, does that also like crowd out investments in the kind of private sector where you could be investing maybe opportunities in the startup space, also like opportunities, say, in investing in some of these fintech companies that are growing in East, in, in Africa? So then would you say then by investing 85% of your portfolio in government securities, then the exposure is too high? or especially to the government and changes in government yes. and also maybe looking yes. out on other opportunities. And would you want to change that? That's a good, a good question. That's a very good question. For now, our experts have said, let us stabilize. Uh, Infrastructure bonds are still giving us a good return. The government is going nowhere. It's 
contractual obligations of the government to its uh, bondholders will not change, I, in my view. Uh, I don't see governments going into the sovereign. If it survived this COVID, <laughs> I don't see them. They are up. Uh, all of the instruments are long term. You are investing for the next uh, 2025, 20, 2030, 2040. So I'm not too worried, I mean, about the viability of Kenya as a state and its obligations. So from that assessment, now, no, you are saying, are we allocating some money for high-risk, high-return instruments? That, that, that takes time. I don't want too much. There are some ideas we are looking at. But overall, we are saying we are very careful. You see, the, the point about this, uh, Mokaya, is uh, we are not... This money we are investing is not our money. It is somebody's money. It has been entrusted to us, just like a bank. You know, it's deposits. For us, it's premiums. So somebody has, has, has trusted me as keeping a teach with his, with his pension. Now, when it comes to then holding that money, I'm holding in trust. I could as well have put in an account of weight, but that's not being prudent. So the prudent thing is to invest it, give you a, a, a good return, because I'm going to give you that return anyway, eventually at the end of the day, and I don't want to risk that money so that, that when you come, it is not there. And remember, we have evidence in our economy of how that happened. The largest insurer in the economy at the time, Kenya National Assurance Company, no more. They risk people's money, and it went down. Jubilee is a very prudent company, and we are very careful. So I know you might say uh, we, we take a higher risk somewhere else, but we will go prudent. We will go slowly. I don't want us to to risk people's money. I want to guarantee anybody who puts money in Jubilee that on the day you come for your money, it will be there and it will give you a good return. That's my promise. I like the concept of prudence as you keep insisting on it, the prudence and conservativeness as it comes to insurance. And I think that also will at least guarantee longevity in operations in this space. And especially also the fact that you're very, very keen on making sure that the the money entrusted to you by the pensioners is actually well taken care of. So that's that's that speaks of good, well-managed insurance company. That, that speaks well of the company and speaks well of the approach that you're taking. So I wanted to discuss a little bit about the industry itself. So Jubilee, in the context of the general, of the general outlook of the insurance industry in Kenya, I mean, you're, you're the biggest around in Eastern Central Africa, as you said, but how does the competitive landscape look like? And that's why you, are you worried about the rise of small companies, insure tech companies that are also coming up? And how would you handle the threat from those kind of uh, companies? I agree with you that we need to look at ourselves within the context of the competitive landscape. Insurance penetration, of course, in Africa is very low. I mean, um, so we probably are looking at ourselves as a giant but within very small economies. And what we just need to do is think bigger beyond East Africa. And so our thinking as Jubilee, first of all, is the insurance companies in, in Kenya and East Africa generally are too many. As we speak now, we have, I think, 51, 52 yeah, about insurance companies. For the size of our economy, 52 is too much. 
we have discussed this at industry level. We have also discussed this with the regulator that we need to give incentives for consolidation. We need larger insurance companies, which then have stronger capital base so that then they can take higher risk. I think that that is imperative. We, we cannot overemphasize that. If you look at even the banking industry, uh, many countries have encouraged consolidation. The one that was very interesting for me was South Korea. They used to have 85 banks. They reduced them to 10. So they have 10 large good banks. And they concentrate on those ones, make sure they have good governance. In my view, we need to look at a similar approach and say, how many insurance companies do we require? My guess is probably less than 10. So we encourage consolidation. Consolidation is if insurance company A, B, and C come together, they form one larger insurance company, they could probably specialize in certain areas, and that's how we grow. So when you have few highly capitalized insurance companies, it is good for the industry. And that is how also it increases confidence from the customers that I can put my money in institutions which are strong, well-run, and very strongly regulated. Because financial institutions are very highly regulated. If that happens, then we are growing the savings culture. Because as we speak now, uh, the 12% of GDP savings rate in Kenya, unfortunately, is very low. Under Vision 2030, we had envisaged that the savings rate would be 30%. If at 12, we have even fallen. You know, when Kibaki left power, we were at 16. So we are now at 12. We are, I think we had even dropped to 9. So we are over in between 9 to 12. So we need to then create financial instruments through the financial services industry to then encourage a higher savings rate. So that then, with higher savings rate, we should have an investment rate. And that higher investment rate is what's going to generate jobs for young people. So that is really the, the model I, I, I recommend. And so consolidation, consolidation, consolidation. That to me is my view. And the other thing, of course, is to strengthen. You know, when I see an insurance company reporting losses, you know, a loss means somebody's savings at the opening somewhere. So we need to make sure that they are very strongly governed. So one of the initiatives that we have talked about in here in Jubilee is a Blue Company Project. Uh, I know you can Google it for yourself. And the whole aim of good uh, Blue Company Project is to strengthen governance in, in institutions. So read about it. So we are not just sitting there. Under our ESG strategy, the governance pillar is let's strengthen other companies so that then we, we can drive good governance in our economy, prudence in our economy, so that then people are encouraged to postpone consumption. That's the whole essence of saving. And so you leave something for yourself in old age and also the next generations. So that's what I would say generally about the competitive landscape. We need a stronger insurance company. I think the top eight insurance companies in Kenya constitute 70% of the premiums out of the 52. So it means there's a problem somewhere. I don't know the latest industry data, but the ones of December last year, as of December 31st, there were a few even who could not meet the minimum solvency requirements. So for me, if I was the regulator, I would then encourage consolidation or give incentives for consolidation to happen. Thank you. Yeah, great. We've taken 40 minutes. I think we'll be here for another maybe 40 more minutes or so. So I think it would be time also to request the speak. I mean, the listeners, if you have questions, 
you can go to a Twitter page. We have on the pinned tweet, you can, below it, you can write questions and then we can direct them to Julius since we have him for the next uh, hour or so. So just write the questions or send them to our DMs also. We, uh, our DMs are open. Unfortunately, we can't allow people to ask questions directly. I see a lot of requests to do that, mostly because of time, but also because like we have very limited uh, time so we can't allow everyone to ask questions but if you post them on the twitter on the pinned below the pinned tweet or you send it to us via dms you can quickly ask the questions on your behalf so at this point i wanted to ask a little bit about you talked about consolidation julius and you also talked about having strong insurance companies and i think your approach has been partnering with global leaders in terms of insurance a company like Allianz. so maybe you can talk to us a, lot, a little bit about how your relationship with Allianz started and how it's going so far and in terms of they they bought a couple of uh, they bought into some of the sub your subsidiaries so maybe how does your partnership with them look like? If you could explain it to us a little bit. Now, the logic of us partnering with Allianz is when we looked at the future, we asked when Jubilee was 80 years old, it asked itself a very fundamental question. How do we survive the next 80? That was the question. And we can only survive the next 80 by looking at global dynamics. The global dynamics is globalization. You know, every company is expanding around the world. So we ask ourselves, how will Jubilee then survive another eight? It must go into Africa, okay? Consolidate in your core market, Africa. And why not? Remember Jubilee also has its own sister companies in Pakistan and that ecosystem in Central Asia. And we said, if we then must play at the global stage, do we have the capacity and capabilities to play in that global stage? And the answer was, Probably not. So we said, if we then must play at that global stage, can we go into a marriage with the big players of the world? And we said, probably not too direct initially. Let us let them come. Let us admit them in areas where we are not strong at. So we did our own internal assessment, and we said, we are not very strong in general, which is property and casualty. We are strong in life, and we are strong in medical. So we began the process of separating the health company from the general company. So that was step one, separate. Step two is let them now, let Allianz then enter into, so we chose Allianz because the largest general insurer and our DNA were almost, are very close. So we then allowed them to buy into the general company, not the health company, not the life company, but the general company. And so we allow them to take a majority stake so that then they provide leadership because that is what the area we were not very strong in as, as a company. And the industry data shows that. So, so we have brought them in. They have taken over the Kenyan uh, general company, 66%. We are about to hand over the Uganda one before the end of this month and then followed by Tanzania and then Burundi, and then Mauritius. All of them will be complete before the end of the year. And we, have annu we announced this in September uh, last year. So the process is going on well, smoothly. After all the due diligences, we hand over the companies. And we remember we are still in it at 34% slightly, depending on the market uh, regulations. Some accept 51, 49, but largely it's 66, 34. And the purpose is we also that we are also learning. We want to learn from the big, big guns of the world. What are they bringing on board? It's not about money. Jubilee has the cash. It is about experience and systems. 
so that we don't reinvent the wheel. That's the whole aim. So we are here to make sure that we have a global player who understands global markets very well. We can go with them, say, to a market like, say, India or a market like China, you know? And we don't have to, we as Jubilee, who would know that Jubilee in India? But if you go with the Lyons, we are on, on top of our game. That is the whole, that's the whole essence. So, and we believe that with their coming in and with their global experience, Jubilee is going to be a very strong player in the continent of Africa or any other market around the world. Remember, they have been at it for one, Allianz are 130 year old company. So they have huge experience. We are also, we are 85 years old ourselves. So with our combined experience, we could, we are now in a pole position for Africa and any other markets that we want to jointly enter as Jubilee Allianz. The new entities that we are forming, we are calling them Jubilee Allianz General Insurance Company. So the two names will always be together and we will go this journey together. So the, from the money that you received, uh, you paid an interim dividend this year. And the investors are asking, why not pay more? Since uh, they seem to think that you got more from the deal with Allianz. I knew that question was coming. Yes, uh, the money is coming in tranches. As we finish a transaction, it comes. So the money for Kenya came on May 4th. Uh, the money for Uganda should come immediately. We, we complete the transaction most likely at the end of this month. So all I can, all the investors in this forum, all I can tell you is when we consolidate all this money, we will then go with the board with a proposal and the board will adjudicate. So let's go in steps. <laughs> so we paid the, the interim dividend uh, as normal. Jubilee always pays a dividend. We have never failed to pay a dividend. So even last year, we paid an interim dividend. Uh, this year, we paid the same. So the special dividend, I can tell you, Mokaya, is that that's a decision for the board, and let us wait for that decision to come. But for now, I will not say anything beyond that. All right. So maybe a few other questions that have come in, and a couple of questions. So one is, you talked about being very prudent, and one of the challenges you have in, in terms of being prudent is also that you may be perceived as being a bit slow and rigid to change in terms of maybe if you had your 85%, maybe in tech stocks, maybe you would be 10x where you are today if you did that. So like then how do you maybe also, how does a company which is a bit prudent and very conservative as Jubilee, how do you position yourself in an area, say like in Tech, where they, it's has you have to be fast moving. You have to adapt to tech. You have to maybe uh, provide some of the services through more modern technology and all. And there are also threats in terms of disruption from this kind of insurance tech company. So how are you preparing yourself, or at least responding, uh, to customers' demand for technology for insurance layered with technology? That's a good. That's a good question. I think uh, you are a, a prudent investor also. Now, what I can say for now, the experience that the world went through around the year 2000, a lot of people have learned about tech companies and the way things can go horribly wrong. Remember the internet bubble? There was a lot of hype about tech companies and that hype then went horribly wrong. And so you require a lot of experience and people understand tech so that then you can say in the long term, 
I'm promising you that if I put your pension in, say, a company X, company X should be sustainable and give you a health return. So our philosophy is we don't understand it well enough, so don't risk somebody's money. So that's the reason why we are strengthening Jubilee Financial Services is so that then we can have expertise around investments. The reason why we are bringing in the big guns of the world, Allianz, is so that then we can consult them if indeed that we want to go that route of increasing our risk appetite. So it's a journey, Mokaya. It's not something we are going to you know, rush into and risk your money. The reason why we consistently give good returns is because we are prudent investors, very prudent. People might call us probably a little too conservative, but given the information that we have, it informs a lot of our conservatism. So then we go for instruments we are sure that guarantees a good return for the, for the customer. And as we go along, we increase our appetite. So I'm hoping in the next few years, Allianz will teach us investment risk analysis much better. And you never know. If you ask me the same question in the next three years, my answer might be slightly different. All right. So but are you using tech to deliver some of your products? And are you trying out that uh, way of reaching your customers also? Yes. yes. There's a lot, There's of, a lot work of work going on, going on right now. And I, I'm not at liberty to say some of it, but I, the answer is yes. Great. So then again, the other thing that you wanted to ask a little bit about is about capital allocation. So you talked about consistency in terms of uh, giving out dividends. So the other way to also allocate capital to, or at least return capital to investors is also through share buybacks. And I mean, we noticed uh, National Media Group did, did, did that earlier this year, um, and they have been successful in terms of boosting the share price. Uh, we've seen Centum also want to go that direction. We've seen you also uh, amend your um, or some of your clauses that you're able to do share buybacks. So anything you can tell us in terms of your thought process around share buybacks and maybe if you have a timeline within which you want to do them. Share buybacks, basically, investors is... Uh... You know, a company trying to to sort of intervene in the marketplace if its share price is below its book value. If you look at the case of the share, the share price had crashed to I think 13 shillings, but in their view, the market price ought to have been around 25. I think 23, 25 there, double what what it was. And so our com- companies are currently provide for that something very common in the U.S. So that then you can do a market correction. And I think the nation media group has done that market correction. So in the last AGM, we presented a report to the shareholders for a provision in our articles and of association for a clause on share buybacks. And the shareholders approved. We will not exercise that for now. What we are saying is that in the event that the share price drops and reason will too low, we can exercise that right with the approval of the shareholders to then do the market correction. So that is it. So we are yet to exercise it, Jubilee. And all I can say is that we, we are just strengthening the governance process so that then the board, through the shareholders, have instruments that they can then stabilize the market price. Our, our stock markets are not that efficient. So sometimes it needs correction. 
So we have we now have the instruments uh, to do the correction. Then you also talked about our capital allocation. I know sometimes even in our one of our AGMs, a shareholder asks that about our retained earnings. So our dividend policy generally. So what we are saying is the board also looks at the future and saying what what kind of tools you know, must we then prepare ourselves for if, for example, we want to make significant investments into the future. And we are holding this money for, for, the, for the shareholders. So we pay dividends consistently. Even in a COVID year, Jubilee paid consistently. And we, we have never stopped. So it is that level of prudence that then consistently assures the shareholder of a stream of income. We might, you know, with this, the sale of a piece of our general insurance company, at the holdings level, we might say, so with this capital then, how much do we give more to the shareholder or do we retain for the shareholder? Or we give it in a bonus. So all sorts of instruments are going to be used to then decide what we do with, that, with the money. But again, as I said earlier on, Mokaya, it is about prudence. You know, we are prudent, we are holding this money. It's not going anywhere. It's well invested and it is all for the benefit of the shareholder and the customer. And so therefore we are consistent. So even when there is a people <coughs> like COVID, Jubilee was fairly stable. If you look at our results for last year, our results for Afia, we have been very fairly consistent. You know, if you look at our peers are going up, down, you know, some making huge losses. But if you look at the results of Jubilee, it's fairly consistent. So it means even when we have a global problem like COVID, the company is solid to withstand. So resilience, agility are there, but we lean more towards resilience. And then agility is as we increase our risk appetite, we are going to be handheld by the big guns so we can improve our risk appetite. But for now, Jubilee is a very solid company. In fact, I always say if you are buying shares of Jubilee, you should give it a premium rather than a discount. Thank you. Now that you are strong in terms of Jubilee, if I may ask, what's your skin in the game in terms of buying shares or yourself at Jubilee? Oh, okay. For oh, okay. me, for as, me a as a CEO. Yes, like uh, because one of the things that <laughs> we learn about, so we expect you to lead the way through. <laughs> anyway, so there are, those are two two questions. So. Let me answer the ESOP one. Okay. We have proposed yeah. the board an ESOP, but that goes has to go to the AGM. So we will discuss that at, at that level when uh, the proposal uh, is ready. And uh, because we want every employee to have a skin in the game. One of the part of the success of Equity Bank, for example, is every employee is a member of ESOP. So you not only work for equity, you also work for yourself because you are a shareholder. So we think that is a good proposal. We are going to present the board. And then for me as an individual, what I can say for now is I don't have shares yet, but watch this space. We are watching it very keenly because one of the investors that we follow very closely. We have a solid company. company. Yes, yes, yes. We always like to see some you leading us from the front. So we'll be watching you to see what you're buying. A separate question I wanted to ask was about COVID and maybe what you've learned. Because some of the companies that have survived COVID have to be strong like you've been during this period. So I know like prudence is most um, keenly seen, especially in times of crisis like this. So maybe you could speak to us in terms of what you've seen in terms of trends in claims, uh, 
maybe in terms of revenues and also people paying their uh, premiums during this period of time and what reflections you have in terms of building companies that can withstand such such difficult times and circumstances like covid 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 took us by surprise it was a very unexpected event initially when when it started in china in 2019 we thought it would be something like sars or mars which was localized and it didn't become a global pandemic so we in the month of february last year we knew then that this thing was going around the world especially when it hit europe so what did we do we then did a very solid bcp business continuity plan that in the event that we had locked down that and they began in europe already what were we going to do so by the time the government was given the directive that employees work from home we knew fairly what was what needed to have been done so what i can say is that we had a very strong business continuity plan which we are still implementing even up to today as we speak now half of our employees across the region work from home and the other half work in the office initially it was even 90 10 90% working from home but we have slightly now adjusted we have learned the protocols we have vaccinated many of our staff we hope that before the end of this year we'll be at 100% vaccination and so we can but we'll still maintain the health protocols as required so in terms of bcp and preparedness jubilee was very strong then in terms of then the impact on the company there are two largely two which i'll talk about today one is on the health company because we are the largest health insurer what did we see happen hospital visitations dropped remember we didn't have enough data to cover covid immediately so our actuary said let us accumulate data for around 6 months so that then we understand the behavior of this disease so that then we can adjust the policies by january this year we had already enough data to price covid so anybody taking a policy to, with us today you have the option of adding additional premium for covid so you are already covid covered and and so when when you look at the results for our health company last year because of drop in hospital visitation the results were good however we had to increase our reserves because we knew that people were postponing hospital visits so we increased our reserves to reflect that concern if you look at our income then therefore it is fairly consistent last year and this year because we had made provision for that hospital visit that you are going to make this year so you you can see that we are fairly consistent and it's a reflection of the decision making framework that i talked to you earlier about being prudent and being conservative so we never got excited and say let's distribute whatever income came before because people visited the hospital less we said let's increase our reserves because they are just postponed the hospital visit and so therefore our results are fairly consistent so what i can say is the health company has been very very prudent in the way it manages covid and for me it was a resounding success for the life company many companies then got into trouble you know some people lost their jobs you know some people then had to draw in their savings what i can say is we were very very prudent one we were flexible when employees when or policy holders came for their savings the board actually told us be as generous as it can get let us allow our customers flexibility to draw in their savings because they have a crisis and we made it very flexible if you look at the results of jubilee and our peers we are the ones who had 
the most generous surrenders and withdrawals. We made, made it easier for people to access their money because they are in a problem. And we knew that this crisis would not be there forever. It was going to be contained and people will come back to work and they will always remember Jubilee was flexible in the way it handled them when they were having a challenge. So if you look at, say, our, our books of accounts, for, say for Kenya, no, no, for the whole group, uh, the surrenders and withdrawals in 2020 jumped by around 1.5 billion thereabouts out of the normal. And because we are cash rich, we thought that was a very prudent decision to make to assist our policyholders go through a challenge. Also, we were in uh, discussions with the regulators when it came to suspension of remittances. So RBA was very generous. It was actually giving um, companies flexibility to suspend you know, remittances for a while as they go through the crisis themselves. And we are in constant discussion. So what I can say is that we have gone through the worst, I think, of COVID. And because of vaccinations now and a possible cure, is a, they say a possible cure might begin to emerge sometime next year or 2023. So if we can vaccinate as many people, a cure on the way, possibly, then we will have contained this virus. And But the lessons learned is we can handle then crises of similar magnitude at any time into the future. So the future is bright. And I, I believe that COVID taught us incredible lessons. Thank you. All right. Uh, we have 20 or so more minutes to go. Uh, so if you want to have your questions answered, uh, you can send them to us again on DM or below the pinned tweet. Just send us, and we've seen a couple of questions. So I think one of the most consistent questions I'm getting here is about claims. I know that claims were up during the pandemic and that you've been, as you said, you were very generous in terms of play, paying some of them. But how do you, insurance companies get this accusation of not paying policy claims? How do you approach that as a company so that you, first of all, because there's always the process that has to go, uh, policy has to go through, uh, or a claim has to go through uh, to ensure that it's actually a correct claim and it's not a false claim. So how do you balance uh, that process and that process and the other side of, so that you don't make your client wait too long until they get their claim resolved. So I think maybe you can talk about it and also talk a little bit about maybe the customer service week also this week, which you and how you have approached okay. that. Okay. okay, thank you very much. I think just from a management point of view, Jubilee does not have a liquidity problem. If you look at our books of account, we are rich enough okay, because of our prudence. So when it comes to handling of claims, there is no claim we are not going to honor as per our contractual obligation to our customer. That I guarantee you. There is no way, whatever uh, claim that comes to Jubilee, whether it is us who carry the whole risk or part of it is reinsured, we will honor it because we have the liquidity. So we don't have a liquidity problem. What we are very careful about is fraudulent claims. It's a sore area in insurance. Every insurance company, not just in Kenya, around the world, people want to take advantage of insurance by making false claims. So we are very careful, okay, about this. We try our best. As I said earlier on, some claims, false claims fall through the cracks. But if we discover it, we will always uh, take appropriate criminal action to the culprits. So in terms of claims, what I can assure anybody listening here, if you're a policyholder, you will be paid by Jubilee if it's a genuine claim. And 
we follow the law as we process any claim. So all I can say, Mogaka, is this is an area of a lot of mark, but we make sure that claims are paid on time and as per our contractual obligations. What I have seen over the years, because some of the complaints arrive at my desk, is customers not fulfilling their part of the bargain, which is documentation. I want to tell you, all claim files are audited by the regulator. And the law is very clear on claim is, is a process and the documentation required. So we also don't want to sanctions from the regulator that we were being careless in the way we manage claims. So it's an area where any inspection by the regulator, they always look at every file and must be processed as per the law. Some of it will be processed also further as per our internal procedures, which have been approved by the regulator. So we are a highly regulated industry and rightfully so. So therefore, we must make sure that we do things professionally. And if, for example, for any reason we cannot pay a claim, we should be able, I've told employees, we should be able to defend at the regulator level, or if, if a customer appeals to the insurance tribunal, we should be able to defend it, or the customer can even go to the high court, we should be able to defend it at every stage in the appeal process. We are not here to frustrate a customer, we are here to facilitate as much as possible. And remember, the rule in insurance is an expected event. The risk must be unexpected. So that's why you insure it. So if it was something expected, of course, the probability is one, it will occur. So it's an expected event. One challenge that I've seen over the years is probably we are not explaining in what insurance is very well to the public and how insurance works. And it's an area where, where we have always said it is one area where Jubilee can advance thought leadership and communication to the public on how insurance works, how we do our business, so that then we are better understood. So that then when somebody even comes to take a policy, they understand the process of making a claim and the circumstances under which we consider as per the law on how a claim is adjudicated. And then you also talked about customer service week. Just for your information, I was one of the founders of the Institute of Customer Service. And uh, so you can say I was, I was the founding chairman, actually. Uh, of the Institute of Customer Service. And so I'm very passionate myself about the Customer Service Week and generally that we must serve the customers. One of the philosophies that I advance when I talk to staff at various forums is an organization is a trinity of three, three parts. We have the shareholder, we have the customer, and the employees. That's the trinity of a company. They must all work in tandem because all of them have a stake in the company. The shareholders provide the capital, the employees deploy that capital by designing products, and then the customers buy those products and therefore provide the cake that then we channel it as salaries to employees and as dividends to shareholders. That must work always in balance together. And so the three stakeholders are interdependent. They are symbiotic to each other. So that symbiosis must always be maintained. And so therefore, for us, the customer service week is that week we are telling the customers, thank you for maintaining our relationship. We also listen to them. We are just where we have gone wrong. It's not that we don't do it. It's just that it is emphasized at that week so that then it keeps ringing in our minds that we have that obligation to our customers. And so 
this is no no different. And all I can say is that our customer service week has gone pretty well. My team is around me here, and they can attest that. And we will. All I can tell you, the policyholders, some of you on this forum, is we are fully committed to give you a world class service. If we fall short, give us that feedback, and we will always improve. Good to hear, at least. But for me, interactions with customers, especially this week, or at least also your experience around the region, why is insurance uptake very low just in Kenya and just across maybe East and Central Africa where you operate? Like, what's the feedback you get from people, apart from them not understanding what insurance is? And I think on that end, it's something that we can easily partner with you at Jubilee to bring your experts here more to discuss, to expound a bit more on products and all and also just explain to people what insurance really is. So apart from that, like that misunderstanding and also maybe the slow processing of claims, why do you think, what are the other reasons that you've heard about maybe across the region in terms of low uptake of insurance? That's a good question. Let me begin, first of all, by saying the members of the public manage risk very well. Insurance is one of those instruments that manages risk too, but not in the same way the public views it. And I always believe that it is us insurance companies to adjust the way we do business so that then we align ourselves with the public. You see, let me give you an example of how, you know, members of the public manage risk. One of them is Arambe. You know, it's a very local Kenyan thing, you know, that if somebody has a problem, we rally around them. That's the whole purpose of insurance, that you give me a premium, and then when you have a problem, an unexpected problem, we rally around you. Kenyans have their own internal coping mechanism of rallying around each other when there's a problem. So one of our biggest competitors, ourselves, as Jubilee, is actually Arambe itself. It's not even other insurance companies, Arambe, that Kenyans can rally together. So we are thinking of how can we then marry Arambe and insurance now that they are complementary. They are competing and they're also complementary. So we are thinking through. And you look at, for example, how M-Pesa came along in 2007. What did Safaricom see? That there was a need to share. Those who have, because we are one of the most unequal countries in the world, and they also discovered something, what Michael Joseph was saying, peculiar Kenyans, which was we were generous. So the marriage of generosity and an instrument to share brought a successful product called M-Pesa. We are also ourselves thinking through and saying, the marriage of insurance and Arambe should be able to give us a wonderful insurance product similar to M-Pesa or, a, or even a platform. It may not be a product, it may be even a platform. So we are thinking of that. Then the other one is <laughs> religion. Religion is a very interesting insurance policy. You see, Kenyans are very religious. In fact, there was a survey which was done and 85% of Kenyans say they are actually very active in religion. Now, people pay their tithes. It could be 5%, it could be 10%, whatever. You give sadaka even in the church. What do you, do you expect in return? That the priest or the pastor will pray for you and bless you. That's his insurance. That's risk management. That the person will actually uh, intervene uh, religiously. So, so generally what we're saying is we in the insurance industry need to understand risk management from our part of the world. And then through our thought leadership, then redesign our approach into the market. And that is so a lot of the things that we then borrowed were largely European or American. So we need then to 
you know, just the same risk management philosophy. Risk management philosophy is the same. It's just the way we approach the market, how we approach the market with the products that support that. So look at, for example, Equity Bank. Equity Bank never reinvented banking. Banking is still banking. But the approach to banking is what they changed, the approach. They started calling uh, their savings accounts Swahili names and, you know, adjusting them to fit the local market. They said people were having pain in keeping a minimum balance. So they told people, come, to come and open the account and you can go to zero if you want. They found that many customers actually were not going to zero. So in fact, 70% still maintained the balances. But the fact that they were being told to keep a minimum balance was the annoyance. So you removed the annoyance. So simple, same things like that. So we are also thinking the same and saying, do we really understand customers in Africa? That will be a product of research. And from that process, we should be able to adjust ourselves. And in my view, Jubilee, with our partners now, Lyons, are in the best position to do that market research, adjust our companies to fit Africa, and we should be the most successful ourselves. Where you have a local partner who understands Africa, but somebody with also global expertise. Marry the two, and we should be able to move forward and advance insurance in this part of the world. That's our approach. That's our thinking. And if there's another insurance company uh, on this forum, let's think together. It is for the benefit of the industry. The thought process that equity went through in banking benefited the entire industry. So we are not here to monopolize knowledge. We are here to share and collaborate for the benefit of the customer out there so that then we grow insurance because we believe that insurance is one of the best mobilizers of country savings. Great start. So if I get you correctly, then Jubilee's approach is both collaborative and at the same time also prudent and conservative. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the future and your plans around that. And maybe then we'll finish off with one or two questions, maybe reflections from your personal life. So one is, what does the future look like for Jubilee and what are your regional development and growth plans? And especially also talk about interest in maybe following Safaricom to Ethiopia. Is that something that is in the works? Uh, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. So our, our approach is in, um, in two, two ways. We talk about deepening and widening. That, that, that's really the philosophy. We deepen in existing markets and then widen to new markets. So let me talk briefly about deepening. So in deepening, we want to consolidate in the segments that we already are in. Jubilee is largely a corporate player in, in many aspects. So we want them to say, let us consolidate more at corporate level, what, what we are today. Then step two is to go into retail and SME space. We believe that we need to understand more. There's a lot of research going on for us to understand that segment. We also want to bring in talent and skills that understand retail and SME so that then we are going into that market space with the knowledge and with the products that fit into that market space. We are also going to rethink our distribution. One of the challenges that insurance faces is, you know, insurance as generally is a grudge sale. A, you know, you have to push it down somebody's throat. So... As a grad cell, the, the major channel is agent. We are going to still retain our agents and even grow it further. But we want to also to look at other distribution channels going forward. 
The one that we have chosen that has the greatest potential is Bank Assurance. We want to use banks' capabilities to reach to more customers. Banks have gone significantly way ahead of us in, in digital, so we want to leverage by Picky Bank. You Picky Bank on the banking distribution channels so that then when you are buying any banking product, you add insurance, so we bundle them together. So that is really the, the way we are looking at the, the, the distribution. And then when it comes to then to widening, uh, widening, it means now we go into territories we currently are not in. And we are looking at that. And you have mentioned Ethiopia. Africa is our strategy. And with our new partner, Lyons, we will be able to, to move much more smoothly. So Ethiopia is one of them. And we have, we have talked to a few banks. We have also talked to Safaricom about Pikibank. On them, and what I can say right now is it's still early stage. We have not advanced too much, but it's our thought. The other country we are thinking about is DRC. Uh, equity, for example, is already present in DRC in a large scale. And what Equity achieved in five years, because they entered there in 2015, uh, in 2021, I think now they are number two, and they are moving towards position one. Now, we are also careful because we, we are also very prudent in the way we enter a country as a Jubilee. Governance is a very important thing and rule of law. So if we see a country that is very weak in rule of law, we are very careful. So, so we are looking at that. So, so we are looking at countries with significant populations. So Ethiopia, DRC, Nigeria, maybe. So Nigeria is still a long, a long shot now, but it's something we are, we are thinking so once we sit down, once we we are with, we could not now see the horizon. So, but the general philosophy now is deepen in existing markets, and then go prudently into new markets with possibly new partners. So, I don't see us gro- growing into new markets as a green field. Most likely, it will be a brown field generally. But it depends on the market conditions when uh, we enter a market. But generally, the philosophy is brown field and go but go prudently to countries which have very strong rule of law. So that is generally the, the, the kind of thing uh, we want. So in the next five years, we'll definitely be in more than five countries than what we are today. And we, will, we should, together with our partners and the government, we should have penetrated existing markets much more strongly. So that is generally what we are thinking in the medium term. So from your part in maybe your personal perspective, maybe at the company here, then there are kind of mistakes you've seen the company make, or at least in your past companies and what you've learned from them. Maybe if you can share uh, personal experiences there and also maybe your, the challenges that you've had, say, with the fraud you've said and claims, any stories you could share would be nice to hear now on a personal level. What I can say is, uh, let, let me begin with frauds and what, what comes, some of it comes to my, my desk. We are, we are generally a very corrupt society. That's, not, that's open knowledge. And it is going to, it's, it, to me, it is one of the single most important drag on our economy which is corruption and lack of integrity. And if we remove this monster from among us, a lot of things will, will germinate and grow in our country, including FDI. We are not attracting as much FDI because there are too many roadblocks, and, and in each roadblock is a rent-seeking point. That is a major concern for us as a country. And so claims is just a, an extension of that malaise in our society. And... 
in my view, we need to, to tackle this thing at macro level. You know, I don't know where we'll get another set of politicians, because these politicians come from among us. But we, we must then set very high standards against corruption, very, very high standards. And if we can tackle corruption, then we can expand insurance because many people believe that if you take a policy, it will not be paid or it will be adjudged as being crooked. So we are all suspicious of each other. So let's remove that suspicion by removing this cancer from our midst. So what I, what's, what I can say for now is uh, if we can remove corruption, Kenya can probably grow at 10%. We have all the ingredients of faster growth, except corruption. If we just remove that one single thing uh, from our midst, or even contain it to manageable levels, because right now, in my view, it's out of control. Corruption has gone out of control. So we need to find a way where you know we contain this cancer, you know, and reward you know people because it's, it, it's pervasive in our society. I mean, lack of meritocracy, for example, in the in the public service, largely, is responsible for the kind of mess we are in. Because then if you put somebody who does not qualify for a certain position, the end result is that they will not deliver. So to me, corruption is a cancer that we must contain. Then the other thing, one, one other lesson I learned is Kenya has very good people in terms of educate, well-educated people. If we just remove that corrupt mind, we have very, very good uh, employees. In fact, when I was at investment promotion, I used to, one of my marketing pitches for Kenya is we have the most educated black people in the world. So, which is true. I mean, if you go to any hotel in, in Uganda or Tanzania, which is five star, nine out of 10 are Kenyans. Why? why? It's because we had solid, solid institutions like Utali College, which produced very good hoteliers. And so University of Nairobi has produced very good people. So we need to look at our institutions and say, if they were strong in the past, what went wrong with them? And how can we make sure we strengthen them to keep on you know, uh, producing? If you look at, for example, innovation of companies like Safaricom or Jubilee, uh, you know, they are very strong companies in their own right, and they are run by Kenyans. So how can we make sure that this thing is continued? So Kenya is in a very good position to take leadership in Africa and in the black world generally. So why don't we have that? As I said earlier on, our single largest drug, the thing that pulls us backwards is corruption. And if we tackle that, we, were, we should be on a takeoff as a country. And so even when me, I get involved in projects like the Blue Company project, which I've encouraged you to Google, is I feel the pain of somebody giving me a CV and I can't find a job for them. And when I look at why I can't find a job for them, it's because people are not investing in the economy. Why are people not investing? There are just too many roadblocks and people asking for bribes. So they go to another country. That is the pain. And if we can undo that pain, then we are on the road to take off. I only have been reading about China. China, when Deng Xiaoping came in 1984, uh, after the Cultural Revolution of Mao, was Mao, I think, died in 76. So when the Cultural Revolution, then this leader came and said, we must set a new foundation for China. That new foundation for China meant that since 1984 to date, China largely has been growing around 10%. Now, that 10% growth consistently for around 25 years 
is a world record. There's no other economy that has grown that fast in that magnitude for 25 years consistently. What's the lesson from it? It's leadership. Deng Xiaoping provided the foundation for very strong leadership. And China is a world power today. You can say the same thing of Singapore. Lee Kuan Yew from 1965 said, Singapore will be different. We will stand on our feet. We are tiny, but we will push the ceiling. They have the third highest per capita income today. Can Kenya do the same? The answer, of course, is yes. We have the right ingredients. All we just need to do is to fix our leadership. So next year, if Kenyans elect corrupt people, you are just downgrading your potential. Let us have people with very strong character, incorruptible, with impeccable character, and Kenya is on a takeoff. Thank you. All right. I think we are now at the close. Uh, maybe it's, uh, I would take, I would want to thank uh, you for coming also and for Jubilee Insurance for also helping us out to get in touch. So as we close, now, I wanted to hear your parting thoughts maybe to young people who are starting out in this profession, insurance as a whole. So maybe you can tell us where you see opportunities and maybe your closing words of wisdom to all of the listeners today. Thank you. I think my message to younger generation of people is, first of all, to be flexible and agile. Current research says that Generation Z people who are coming in the workplace is probably part of Generation Y, those below the age of 35, that you will, first of all, have to be multi-skilled because the workplace will retire your skill faster than earlier generation, probably my generation. So because of that, be a person who keeps learning. The, the, the literature I've read says that the younger generation will change jobs five times in their lifetime, which means each, prof, each time you're changing a job, you ought to have learned a new skill. So why don't you learn some of these skills earlier so that then you improve your agility and flexibility to enter different professions? So I want to urge young people, first of all, be agile and flexible and learn new skills. Now, the other thing is when you enter an organization, please, organizations are asking for employees who are diligent and highly productive. I would rather have an employee who comes to us as Jubilee to work for three years at maximum productivity. I don't mind them exiting, but they have given their best. So. We as organizations are providing platforms for employees to maximize their productivity. So I would add young people, when you're given a job, do it so well that you will be remembered in that organization that there was somebody who came here five years, did a big bang, great things, left. That is the, the future. Don't go to an organization and just be a cog in the wheel. So then when people even after 10 years try to remember you, they have no clue. They have to go look for a personnel number somewhere. So do it and do it so well. The third one is young people. Today's world is about collaboration in the workplace. It's no longer about individual effort. It's about collaboration. What the customer is looking for is excellent service. But excellent service is a product of internal collaboration. So excellence from the customer front is a product of employees working together. So. Employers are looking for people who have social skills to interact and collaborate. They are not looking for individual stars. They are looking for people who can work with others to deliver what the customer wants, knowing that 
no single person can deliver to the customer. So the customers have become prudent, very choosy. Young people, please, collaboration skills are very important. So your children must be taught collaboration, must be sensitized on the need to work as teams. Then they bring that skill into the workplace. So young people, collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Please remember that. And then number four, please save. The day you are employed, start saving. Many people I've seen over the years, when they hit 50, they start saying, hey, retirement is beckoning. What do I need to do? And then they make mistakes now. So they now panic and say, oh, I need to buy land in Laikipia or Subukia or Ngong or somewhere. Then buying that land is typically a dead asset. Then you go and fence it, increasing the value of a dead asset. And then you go and build a house, another dead asset. So you have accumulated dead assets. Then you say you are going to retire in that house. So you arrive at that house, you have an asset, but no liquidity. You have a crisis. So please save from day one. Build your savings. Live a life which is consistent, like the way I told you about Jubilee, we are very consistent. Live a life which is very consistent so that then by the time you retire, your life has not changed significantly. It has been gradual and you will live longest. I wish you that you will live up to 90 or more. There's a lot of research going on in medical science it's about elongating life. <laughs> like for example, there's a malaria vaccine now. It's being tested. I was reading about hepatitis uh, vaccine and cure. So I was so fascinated that in the last two weeks, a lot of medical science has been discovered. I know that will improve. And in another five years, my belief is that young people will have access to medicine that will elongate life. I see your generation living even to 120 or even 150 years. You will live long. Please prepare yourself for that living long and live in happiness. So I wish you well. You will stay long in organizations, discover, make great waves, live long, live happy. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us again, Julius. That's been a great one and a half hours plus. Thank you for your time. We hope to see you again soon when you release results and also when you want to discuss with us again. So our okay. space is always open for you. You have our contacts now and you can reach out to us wherever you want. So if you want to hear more from Julius, he's always available on his Twitter space. He's very, he's on his Twitter page, he's very active there. So you can follow him and see what he shares. He has, he has I told him today that he has around 15 times a number of followers so he has a greater reach <laughs> but he's kind enough to also come and talk to us and share with us the knowledge and experience that he's had so thank you so much for joining us thank you in the background we had bonnie who was uh, doing the uh, twitter thread there's a nice twitter thread out there uh, there are lots of questions there also for you to answer julius if you have no time problem. So I'll uh, you no problem so i'll look at them and then i'll answer yeah, yeah, definitely. There are lots of questions. I think one of them is from our one of our colleagues, Sud, who also wonders uh, whether you're actually an investment company, not just an insurance company, since you generate 50-50. Always welcome. Thank you so much. In the background, we also have Becky, we have Eric, we have Bonnie, uh, who are all helping us. And also we have your team also from uh, Jubilee, who have also helped us to prepare for this Twitter space. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes behind the scene before we come. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much.